It's good to be back home after a trip to uh, Memphis for the Memphis Lectureship uh, this past week. And uh, had a wonderful time, had the opportunity to uh, hear a series of lessons on uh, the subject of wisdom. In fact, the lectureship was entitled, Who is Wise? And Caleb and I both had the opportunity to speak on that subject while we were there. And uh, so we have decided to share those lessons uh, with you uh, today. We can't cover the whole lectureship in one Sunday, but uh, we will at least do our part of that. And I would encourage you to take the time to go to the uh, Memphis School of Preaching website and navigate to the schedule for the lectureship and get a get access to that schedule, and then you can go to the uh, Forest Hill Church of Christ uh, YouTube channel, and you can search for those lessons, the ones that interest you, and you can watch them there. I believe that would be of great benefit to you. My particular subject in this theme was, under the heading, uh, Who is Wise?, was the one who redeems his time and numbers his days. And so I spoke to that subject, and that will be the focus of our time today. But before we do that, I would invite you to listen to something that uh, the Proverbs writer said in chapter 4 of Proverbs, beginning at verse 5. He said, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and all you're getting, get understanding. It's interesting that the Proverbs writer, by inspiration, said that the principal thing is wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I just wonder this morning as we think about this subject, is wisdom the principal thing for you? It's the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom of God that correlates with and corresponds to an understanding of his will for you. Is that the principal thing in your life? And for the time that we have during this worship hour, I would like to connect that with this idea of numbering our days and redeeming our time. Someone has said that time is our most precious commodity. When we think of commodities, we think of things that we use on a regular basis, a daily basis, or things that can come to us in a very generic form and we turn them into means of profit or gain or livelihood or our subsistence for living. Time really is a raw material. It is something that comes to us in the form of neither good nor bad. And you and I decide how we're going to use time, the time that we have to live our lives. Someone else has said, time is wanted most and it's used worst. Of all the things that we want, we want time and yet we use it worse than anything else 
that we have. <clears throat> Someone has said that time should be used as a tool, not as a couch. It's not something that we sit on as if we have a never-ending abundant supply of it, but it is something that we should use as a tool and make the very most of. As I stated, my assignment deals with two aspects of time. We can look at time from the perspective of quantity, how much we have, or we can look at time from the perspective of quality, the way that we use it, whether or not we are redeeming it. And so this morning, the wise man is one who numbers his days and redeems his time. This is definitely a biblical subject. Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. <clears throat> so in the first place, as we think about time and the importance of it, let's look at it under this heading or this point of observation. The wise man is diligent in redeeming his time. The wise man is diligent in redeeming his time. Two passages really in the New Testament deal with this idea of re redeeming the time. One is found in Ephesians chapter 5, and the other is found in a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 4. So the wise man is diligent in redeeming his time. You know, as you think about time, the value of an undertaking in life is often measured by time. We use time to determine whether or not we're going to do it. We value it based upon the amount of time that it's going to take. And we often say things like, I don't have time for that. You might even say, that's not worth my time. Sometimes, with respect to coming into the presence of God on the Lord's day, <clears throat> excuse me, for worship, we might say, I don't have time for that today. And based upon all the things that you prioritize for that day, it may seem like you don't, but what you really don't understand or might not understand from the perspective of wisdom is you've assigned a value to the very thing you said you don't have time to do. I don't have time to worship God today because it's not valuable to me. Time is very important, and we place a lot of emphasis on it and how we use it. I like the old quote uh, by the famous football coach, Vince Lombardi, who said of a, a loss on one occasion, we didn't lose today, we just ran out of time. The reality is we have a certain amount of time, and you and I don't know what that is, but we have a certain amount of time to use in this life, and it's now, right? This very moment is the only time that you know for sure you have right now. Because something could happen to us while we are in this assembly. It could happen to us when we leave today. We don't know. We live like we have more, but the reality is we have what we have right now. <clears throat> and that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and following, when his disciples were concerned about 
What's next? Where my food's going to come from? Where my raiment is going to come from? He said to them, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Worry about the here and now in this moment. So let's turn our attention to this idea of redeeming for just a moment. If you think about that word from a biblical perspective, it could have one of two meanings. I'm going to do the unthinkable here, and I'm going to put a cough drop in my mouth, so I'll quit coughing on you. And no, Carla, it wasn't a rock. You heard the old adage about the preacher who was asked about uh, how long he, he how long he preaches and how he knows when to quit, and he put a cough drop in his mouth, and when it's gone, he's done. But one occasion he put a rock in his mouth instead. He just kept preaching forever. So I'm not going to do that this morning, I promise. But you don't want to suffer through my coughing for sure. So think about redeeming. There are two ways that that word is used in the Bible. There is the sense of being redeemed from our sins. And that comes out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Where Peter says, you know you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. You and I have been redeemed. We've been bought back from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's that aspect of redeeming, but there's another aspect of it. And that is the one under our our consideration this morning. And that it has to do with gaining something, especially advantage or opportunity, or making the most of. When we redeem our time, that's what we're doing. We're making the most of it. (coughs) And so think about that for just a moment. How do we make the most of our time in this life today? Let me put before you some situations and scenarios where this is very important. Think about your relationship with God for a moment. And ask yourself, am I redeeming? Am I making the most of? Am I gaining something? Am I gaining advantage or opportunity of time with respect to my relationship with God? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So there are very likely people in this assembly this morning who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have opportunity to hear sermons preached. Perhaps people have encouraged you or prodded you along in your knowledge and understanding of the gospel. And yet, for whatever reason, known perhaps only to you and God, you still haven't obeyed the gospel. The question I'm just putting before us this morning is, are you redeeming your time in your relationship to God? In Acts chapter 24 and verse 25, we read about Paul's interaction with the governor, Felix. And the Bible says, uh, Paul, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. In other words, he was hearing the gospel. And he was trembling at the thought of it. How did he redeem the time on that occasion? The Bible says he told Paul, go your way, 
when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Now, there's a man who wasn't redeeming his time with respect to his relationship with God. And he's no different than people today who do the same thing. Put off and put off what must certainly be done today, expecting that there will be a convenient opportunity tomorrow. The wise man doesn't do that in his relationship with God. Well, what about Christians? People who have obeyed the gospel. What about our relationship with God and redeeming the time with him? How easy is it for you or for me to put off worship, to put off Bible class? Caleb Caleb nailed this down in a recent sermon in a way that it, it would be impossible to misunderstand what he was saying about this. But let me just remind us. When we have opportunity to study God's word, when we have opportunity to worship God, when we have opportunity to be together in assembly with brothers and sisters in Christ, doing what God has told us to do to edify one another, and I say I don't have time for that. I don't have time to fit that into my busy schedule. I'm just asking us, are we really redeeming the time in our relationship to God? What about in the home? What about our relationships as husbands and wives? Are we redeeming that time or are we wasting it? And what about parents, fathers in particular, as the leaders of their home, who were told to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Ephesians chapter 6. Are we redeeming that time? Or are we too busy with work and hobbies and other activities that take us away from the precious moments of bringing our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are you, dad, mom, redeeming the time in your home? I'll just remind us of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, where Moses told the Israelite people the things that he commanded them that day were to be taught to their children diligently on every possible occasion. When you rise up, when you go to bed, when you're walking in the way, when you're sitting in the house, every opportunity that you have to redeem that time, do it because you're not guaranteed any more than what you have at the present moment. What about in the church? We've talked about this some already, but our worship, to me, it seems like, brothers and sisters, when we think about whether or not we're going to be engaged in the work of the church, we think about that most often from the perspective of ourselves. We are inconsiderate of one another in this regard. And an essential part of our worship is what I do to you and for you and what you do to me and for me. The edification that is supposed to take place in our worship. And so when I say, I don't have time for that this Sunday, I don't have time for that this Wednesday, that's not a decision That just affects me. It affects my family. 
But even beyond that, it affects my spiritual family. And that's why we're to redeem the time. Paul said, not well, I assume Paul, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 10, said, let us consider one another to pro- provoke unto love and to good works. Consider one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look at the emphasis on edification in our assembling together. In 1 Corinthians 12, as Paul corrected the use of spiritual gifts, he said the key thing was edification, the building up and the strengthening of one another. And then what about the leadership in the church and their responsibility to take to them, heed to themselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed or shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And our responsibility and duty to them, to obey them, that have the rule over us because they watch for our souls and they'll give an account. And so just as they have to redeem the time with respect to their leadership, you and I have to redeem the time in respect to our followership. And so we need to redeem the time in the church. But what about evangelism? Are we redeeming the time with respect to teaching the people the gospel. We really need to think about that. Why do we exist in this community? Sure, we exist to help one another go to heaven. But we exist also to help lost people go to heaven. And we need to redeem the time with respect to evangelism. In fact, the passages that use this word redeem in our New Testament have that outward focus. Colossians chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. See that you walk circumspectly, upright, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we redeem the time in helping one another go to heaven, but also finding people who need the gospel and teaching them so that they might have opportunity to go to heaven as well. Are we redeeming the time in our relationships with God, in our homes with one another, in the church with one another, and in evangelism with people who are lost and headed to hell if they don't come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ? That is a very, very important matter that we need to attend to. The psalmist said in Psalm 89 and verse 47, Remember how short my time is, for what futility have you created all the children of men? Someone has said that someday is the disease that will take your dreams to the grave with you. If that's your solution to any of these things we've highlighted in this point this morning, someday I will obey the gospel. Someday 
I will get my life ordered and arranged to where I can give more attention to my family. Someday, I will be active in the church the way I know I ought to be. Someday, I'm going to get myself situated where I can teach lost people the gospel. That's a disease. And the Bible calls it foolishness. And the very opposite of that is wisdom. And wisdom teaches us to redeem the time that we have. And so the wise man is diligent in redeeming his time. Number two, the wise man is careful to number his days. This idea comes from Psalm 90 and verse 12. I would invite you to turn there in your Bibles for just a moment. Psalm 90 is a very insightful psalm. It is a psalm that does a couple of things. Number one, it describes the transcendence of God. God transcends his creation. He's outside of it. He, God doesn't live based on time like we do. Time is part of creation. We are part of creation. Therefore, we are governed by time. Time is an essential part of our existence. But not God. God is outside of that. And so the psalmist sees that in the first couple of verses. And then having seen the transcendence of God, he's reminded of his what we might call transience. We sing the song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're transient. We are only here for a short time. But most people don't even think about that. And I dare say most Christians don't even think about that. We don't want to think about it. We don't like thinking about the fact that just as we were born into this world, we're going to die out of this world. It's going to happen. The only thing that will prevent that statement from being true is the Lord coming back before you die. And in either situation, the problem is the same. Have I redeemed my time? And so the psalmist sees God's transcendence. He's brought to awareness of his transience. And then that works together to move him to petition and to make this statement that is under our consideration. But look at this with me. Let's just take some time to read this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so you have the transcendence of God. Now look at verse 3. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of man. You were born into this world, vibrant, ready to go, but what, what does the natural order of creation do for you, and especially in light of the fall in Genesis chapter 3? Well, you turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. This uh, psalm, by the way, is attributed to Moses. 
And so think about what these next few statements would mean to a man like Moses. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sheep, asleep rather. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and it withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our time like a sigh. A sigh. <sighs> we finish our time like a sigh. In God's view. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is the wrath of you. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now let's think about this passage for just a moment. Again, Verses 1 and 2 show God's transcendence. But that gives light to or paves the way for our understanding and appreciation of our transience. We're not God. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day to God. But guess what? A day is a day for me and you. And we have no idea what a thousand years is like. A day is a day. And that's all we have. We're transient here. The psalmist said in verse 10 here, we have 70 years and if by reason of strength there are 80, we're soon cut off, we fly away. A principle here. Principally speaking, man's life is 70 years. And you might be able to get 80 years out of it. I know some people live longer. My grandmother breached 100. But generally speaking, 70 to 80 years. And it's interesting that the current statistics from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that the average lifespan is 76.1 years. Right in the middle. That's a principle, brothers and sisters. Because you can be 40 years old and leave this life. You can be 100 and leave this life. You can be 30 and leave this life. And in great travesty, you can just be a few years old and leave this life. You can't hang your hat on a principle that says 70, maybe 80, because that's not true for everybody. You remember, most of you will remember this, who were in the old building and have come over to the new one, will remember Ralph Bill. Sitting in Bible class, and any time a discussion came up about the transience of man or death, Ralph would sit there in his pew and he would just say, Time and chance happened to all men. Time and chance. From Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. And that's true. You might live a life that promotes your health and vitality as a Christian, but that does not 
alleviate time and chance. And so I say all of this just to point out the fact that you can't hang your hat on anything that promises you a tomorrow. You have right now. And when the psalmist came to that realization, he said this at verse 12. So, God's transcendent, I'm transient. What does that mean in my mind, guided by wisdom? So, teach us to number our days that I or we may gain a heart of wisdom. The whole point of poetry is to raise awareness to a life issue. And this poetic psalm should do just that for us. It should raise an awareness to a life issue. And that life issue is that we need to number our days. Now, there are two words in this passage that bear emphasizing Teach and number. Teach. Did you catch that? He didn't say, help me to remember the number of my days. He said, teach me to number my days. And I would suggest to you that he says, teach me, because that's something we all need to be taught by God, because we don't do it naturally. We don't. You know that. You know you don't live today like it might be your only day. You don't go into tomorrow as if it might be your only day. We don't live that way naturally. God has to teach us this. And the only way that he can teach us is if we gain, if we seek and gain a heart of wisdom from his word. Jesus told a parable in Luke 12 that really aligned with the point that we're trying to make. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. There will I store all my crops and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's us. But Jesus said, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then will those things, then whose will those things be that you have provided? Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Teach us. To number our days, God. And then the second word, number. Now we think of numbering, the numbering of the Israelite people perhaps when we see that word. And it does. It means to take a census, to assign, to appoint. You can number something in the sense that you appoint it for a purpose. Now, preacher, didn't you just say we don't know how many days we have and now you're telling us to appoint our days with purpose? Well, yes. But not presumptuously. You don't doing, do it assuming 
that you have it, but you do show responsibility in planning ahead if perhaps God grants you that opportunity. Now that's a biblical view of time. And I know it because that's the one that's demonstrated in James chapter 4, where James says, Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow we will go into such a city, spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor or a sigh that appears a little for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, here, here it is. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, this is what we should do or what we're going to do. And so you and I are to live with the expectation that perhaps God will give us tomorrow to carry on our life for his glory and honor. And so tomorrow I plan to do this. And Tuesday I plan to do this. And Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday till I get back to this point. If the Lord wills. And the difference between us and the man James talked about here is presumption. Don't presume that you have it, but live in response to tomorrow if the Lord wills. Because you and I assume too much. We do. We assume too much. We're just like this fellow on many occasions because we think our longevity correlates to our prosperity. I've got good health. I've got a good job. I've got resources. I have children to raise. And so all of that adds up to X number of years left in my life. And that's foolish to think that way because we're supposed to live our life according to the principle of if the Lord wills. We assume way too much about tomorrow. This psalm teaches us that the wise man invites God to teach him how to count. How do I count? How do I number the days ahead? Well, I need God to help me do that through his instruction. Psalm 39 and verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. And Job described his life as, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And that's the truth. We boast of tomorrow if we control the calendar. And when we do that, we abandon wisdom. And we enter into the realm of foolishness. Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And so the second principle is simply this. The wise man is careful to number his days. This morning, there's so much more that can be said about this. But this morning, we've considered wisdom as it pertains to time. And we've looked at it in, from two perspectives, quality and quantity. 
The problem is you and I don't look at time the way we ought to. And it's not that we have too little of it. It's not that the quantity of our time is too little to do the things that we feel like we need to get done. It's more about the quality of it. If you and I had 969 years like Methuselah to live, the dilemma that we face in the brevity of our life remains just the same. We can only live one day at a time. And we're not promised any more than that. And you and I, no matter how hard we try, we cannot dip into tomorrow to live tomorrow. And we cannot revisit yesterday either. What we have is right now. And wisdom says we're to number our days, to use them respectfully before God by acknowledging them in the framework if the Lord wills. We should do this, and we should do that. And having numbered our days and understood the brevity of our life that we simply don't know, then we need to redeem what we have. To use it to the advantages that God expects and desires that we use them for. That touches our individual salvation. That touches our homes as husbands and wives and as parents to children and children to parents. It touches our relationship in the church with one another and how well we work together to edify and strengthen and encourage one another. And it touches evangelism, teaching people the gospel while we still have time. Wisdom looks at time the way God teaches us to. And it says we're to number our days and we're to redeem our time, and may God help us to do just that. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to redeem your time. You need to obey the gospel while you have time and opportunity. Through coming to faith, through study of God's word, you're led to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and your Savior. You're led to repent of your sins. You're led to confess your faith in Christ with your mouth and you're led to the waters of baptism because you understand that that's how God washes away your sins. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, Acts 22, 16. If you are a Christian, you have to face this morning the question of, have I numbered my days and am I redeeming my time? And if not, I hope that you've been challenged this morning to change your view about your life and about the time that you have available and that you redeem it to the very best of your ability, to the glory and honor of the God of heaven who gives you every second you live and every breath you take. If we can help you this morning in any way, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.